The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Now, as you've been hearing on the news, uh, the truce between Israel and Hamas will continue for at least one more day. Minutes before the halt in fighting was due to expire at 5 a.m. our time, the Israeli military said the operational pause would be extended. Joining me now to talk about all of this is Oliver McTiernan, conflict mediator and director of Forward Thinking. Oliver, good morning. Good morning, Pat, and thank you for your invitation. This is, it sounds like, uh, you know, that a country music song, one day at a time, dear Jesus. Sadly, Pat, sadly, because we can only imagine the anxiety of the families of the hostages in the first place, waiting to see will their loved one be on the next list, and then the anxiety of the 2.3 million people in Gaza who are currently living in what the Secretary General of the UN recently described as an epic catastrophe. So it's it's um, really, truly awful, um, the current situation. Now, the idea of one day at a time, uh, and the Israelis have said, as, as we heard the US ambassador to the, to the United Nations articulate in our opening, that as long as the hostages are being released, the Israelis will continue to cooperate with a cessation of one day. So it really is one day at a time. It's drip, drip, drip. Yeah, but it's also setting the if, the condition, I think is impossible by the twin objectives, one to destroy Hamas, the other to release the hostages. These, I've been saying from the beginning, are impossible uh, objectives to do together because one you're saying we're going to kill you to Hamas. And then on the other hand, you're saying, well, we want to negotiate the release. So keep keep coming. But those who know Gaza and when you see it in its current um, devastated state, it's even more um, unlikely that you can move um, hostages around safely while any sense of bombardment is is going on. I think what's become clear in the last few days since this um, truce that has enabled release of some of the hostages, what has become clear, Pat, is that the um, in a bit the, the Hamas don't know where all the hostages are. That's that's being made clear, and I think anyone who understands what happened really happened on October the seventh appreciates that because you had hordes going over, you had criminal gangs, you had other um, militant groups taking hostages. Now, since then, we've had this constant bombardment. And as I say, the risk of hostages being killed, if you're trying to identify where they are, move them to a safer place, move them to a place then that you can start the process of handing them over to the Egyptians at Rafa, it becomes an impossible task. What I think is needed, Pat, at the moment is the international community, particularly America. I think the ambassador would have been better calling at the UN for a permanent ceasefire. That's the only way, Pat, we're going to save um, human life and um, prevent the loss of thousands of more people if this um, war resumes. Now, trying to get at the truth of everything, I mean, one of uh, the stories that's running in Israel and it's highly emotional, is that of the Bibas family, 10-month-old Kafir Bibas, his brother and yes. his mother 
are, well, we are told by Hamas that they are dead and they claim that they were killed by an Israeli airstrike. Well, I think that is a possibility, Pat, but no one really can comment on the truth of that or not, because who is there to observe independently? I think what happened on October the 7th, we most people would agree, was um, illegal and immoral. And taking of or killing and taking of civilian hostages is just a no-go in any situation. And so I think it was in Hamas's interests to hand back the civilian hostages as soon as possible. And I know that was, I I met people in Doha two days after the the 7th of October, and I know that was recognized. And I think they genuinely were reaching out to find a process whereby that could be done safely. Um, The soldiers are another matter because the soldiers were always seen as a leverage, a bargaining chip to enable them to release from Palestinian, from Israeli uh, prisons, Palestinians who otherwise. And and the ratio that they have achieved in the past with this kind of negotiation uh, puts a a premium on the life of uh, an Israeli soldier compared to the life of a Palestinian in an Israeli prison. Well, Pat, I was deeply involved in the Shalit um, negotiations from the start to the end. And every time there was an attempt to force um, the release of Gilad Shalit by force, by a, a war, and we had the terrible war in, in 2008, 2009, it put back the process of negotiation. It didn't help it. And my fear is if we resume the firing again, the bombing again, um, the same thing will happen. It won't. It won't accelerate the increase of the the uh, the release of the other hostages, mm-hmm. but it runs the real risk of um, preventing the release. I would say this time primarily because of security reasons, the, the risk of them being killed. Anyone in Gaza risks being killed once the bombing starts. Uh, who is working behind the scenes? Who has most influence? We've been told that, you know, the American influence is very, very strong and very telling because Netanyahu depends on the United States. I mean, the United States will have his back at the moment, but, you know, there are degrees of support they can offer in terms of replenishing armaments uh, and so on. But is is Blinken, who's back in the Middle East, is is his voice the most telling one in all the mediation? I I think at the end of the day, it's Netanyahu who says yes or no to the ceasefire. The Americans are putting pressure, as I understand, on him to at least extend the ceasefire. What I think they should be putting pressure on to him is to say enough is enough. Um, Look at the long-term, the immediate and long-term consequences of what we see in Gaza an epic catastrophe. This is going to have repercussions both in the region and internationally. I was in in Berlin the other day um, and I heard the German foreign minister 
for the first time, Germany making a shift. She talked about, okay, um, never again, this is our policy, full support for Israel, but we're concerned about the loss of human life um, or the humanitarian situation, as she put it, in Gaza. That cannot be ignored. And more tellingly, she talked about the unraveling of the rule-based international order, the unraveling, and that's what I fear. What we're witnessing now is Israel, I think, with the bombardment we've witnessed, running, if not, you know, a totally contrary, certainly um, putting at risk the whole international order. And um, there'll be consequences of that. And that's what they need now, real friends. They're truly, Israel is in a traumatized situation. We recognize that, we understand it. That's when you need real friends and real friends to say, don't do things now that will have consequences beyond your control. And I fear we're at that stage, Pat. Now, the the line, you reap what you sow, um, people will cite that kind of logic in terms of what Hamas have brought down on the population of Gaza. Um, you know, there was no doubting, given the extent of the atrocity on October the 7th, that the Israelis would respond and with the kind of force they have available to them, it was inevitable that the population of Gaza would suffer. But equally, there are those on the Palestinian side who will say, well, you know, what Hamas is, what Hamas does is effectively on October the 7th, Israel reaping what it had sown over decades of, you know, mistreatment of Palestinians. But what we're witnessing is a shameful record of neglect. For half a century, we've neglected the plight of the people, the Palestinian people in the occupied territories. We've seen a cycle of violence. We've seen a cycle of warfare and then back to normal. And then we've all forgotten about it um, again. I think the the... Time has come where we have to, and Ireland has a lot to share here. Um, you know, our own experience in Ireland was that every military attempt to um, put down resistance was um, a failure. And it was only when the Irish learned, and the British in particular learned, that the the only solution to the conflict in Ireland was a political solution, and that required an inclusive process. Everyone with constituency was a part of that process that led to the Good Friday Agreement. Now, I think there's great insight there and it parallels with the situation in Palestine-Israel. It's, it's not a direct our, parallel, though, because uh, however uh, the animosities between orange and green would have been in Northern Ireland, um, the, the idea of obliterating a, a population... Now, I know that in border areas, a provisional IRA targeted the only son of a Protestant family, for example, to make sure there would be no inheritance yeah. of land. So there was obviously a, a fairly fundamental hatred there to try and clear out a population. Uh, but at the same time, you know, Protestants and Catholics, nationalists and loyalists um, were capable in the past of living side by side. Yeah. And, you know, Pat, also, 
um, Arabs and Jews, Muslims and Jews, Christians were also capable of living in harmony. And, and there are plenty of examples of that um, in the region. Um, but when you get political motives, when you get a political program, that's when you get the tensions and divisions. I think you're right. There are no direct parallels. I always say they're insights. And the best insight is how you move from a, a military conflict into a political process. And I think the, the whole experience of Ireland there um, is, is of value. And especially, um, you know, when it went on for years and years and people said, oh, there's no hope of it. Hope is in an inclusive process. And it's that that I would recommend taking. We've been for years taking Likud and and um, prominent um, Israeli politicians over to Ireland, um, you know, to, to to talk with some of the leaders on both sides um, to share their experiences, their insights. And I think people found that extremely helpful. Sadly, we didn't, you can only do small things in the hope mm. that they'll grow into bigger things. Um, what's needed now is those who are convinced the only way to solve this on either side is through military, um, you know, tactics. Uh, the hope is that they will come to a realisation they're wrong. Oliver McTurnan, Conflict Mediator and Director of Forward Thinking, uh, Conflict Resolution NGO. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, Tom Hand uh, from Dunleary originally, the father of Emily Hand, who was released as a hostage, um, has described to Clarissa Ward of CNN the moment that he was reunited with his daughter. It was um, beautiful, just like in, uh, just like I imagined it, you know, running together. Um, I squeezed, I probably squeezed too hard. Um, it's only when she stepped back a little I could see her, her, her face was chiseled like mine, whereas before she left it was, you know, chubby, girly, young kid face. Yeah, she's lost a lot of um, body weight. Um, <laughs> and the colour, she... I've never seen her so white. The, the other and the most shocking, disturbing part of meeting her was um, she was just whispering. Mm. Couldn't hear her. I had to put my ear on her lips, like this close, and say, what did you say? And uh, there's uh, more of that you can find on the CNN uh, website of that interview with uh, Tom Hand by uh, Clarissa Ward. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.